0: Hi, and welcome to the latest podcast from 1914 to 1918 war.com. In this episode, we be continuing our um, foray into Bruce Benn's father's Bullets and Billets. We're up to chapter 23. As always, please subscribe to the Substack uh, newsletter at 1914 1918.substack.com. That's 1914 1918 Substack.com. I've uh, got some plans coming up there, so if you uh, sign up now, you'll be able to see what, how that develops. So, without further ado, Chapter 23. Everything you hold were wild in the thing <laughs> Chapter 23. Our moated farm, Wolvergame, the curé's house, a shattered church, more heavies, a farm on fire. Our farm was one of a cluster of three or four, each approximately a couple of hundred yards apart. It was perhaps the largest and the most preserved of the lot. It was just the same sort of shape as all Flemish farms, a long building running round three sides of the yard in the middle of which there was an oblong tank used for collecting all the rubbish and drainage. The only difference about our farm was we had a moat, very superior to all the cluster in consequence. Some time or other the moat must have been very effective, but when I was there only about a quarter of it contained water. The other three quarters was a sort of bog or marsh, its surface broken up by large shell holes, On the driest part of this, I discovered a row of graves, their rough crosses all battered and bent down. I just managed to discern the names inscribed. They were all French. Names of former heroes who had participated in some action or other months before. Going out into the fields behind the farm, I found more French graves, enclosed in a rectangular graveyard that had been roughly made with barbed wire and posts, each grave surmounted with the dead soldier's hat. Months of rough wintry weather had beaten down the faded cloth cap into the clay mound and had started the obliteration of the lettering on the cross. A few more months and cross, mound and hat will all have merged back into the fields of Flanders. Beyond these fields, about half a mile distance, lay Wolvergame. Looking at what you can see of this village from the duve farm, it looks exceedingly pretty and attractive. A splendid old church tower could be seen between the trees, and round about it were clustered the red roofs of a fair-sized village. It has, to my mind, a very nice situation. In the days before the war, it must have been a pleasing place to live in. I went to have a look at it one day. It's about a finer sample of what these Prussians have brought upon Belgian villages as any I have seen. The village street is one long ruin. On either side of the road all the houses are merely a collection of broken tiles and shattered bricks and framework. Huge shell holes punctuate the street. I had seen a good many mutilated villages before this but I remember thinking this was as bad if not worse than any I had yet seen. I determined to explore some of the houses and the church. I went into one house opposite the church It had been quite a nice house once, containing about ten rooms. It was full of all sorts of things. The evacuation had evidently been hurried. I went into the front right-hand room first, and soon discovered by the books and pictures that this had been the curé's house. It was in a terrible state. Religious books in French and Latin lay about the floor in vast disorder, some with the cover and half the book torn off by the effect of an explosion. Pictures illustrating Bible scenes, images and other probably cherished objects smashed and ruined, hung about the walls, or fragmentary portions of them lay littered about on the floor. A shell hole of large proportions had rent a gash in the outer front wall, leaving the window woodwork, bricks and wallpaper piled up in a heap on the floor, partially obliterating a large writing desk. Private papers lay about in profusion, all dirty, damp and muddy. The remains of a window blind and half its roller hung in the space left by the absent window and mournfully tapped against the remnant of the framework in the light, cold breeze that was blowing in from the outside. Place this scene in your imagination in some luxuriant country vicarage in England and you will get an idea of what Belgium has had to put up with from these Teutonic madmen. I went into all the rooms. They were in very much the same state. In the back part of the house, the litter was added to by empty tins and old military equipment. Soldiers had evidently had to live there temporarily on their way to some part of our lines. I heard a movement in the room opposite the one I had first gone into. I went back and saw a cat sitting in the corner amongst a pile of leather-backed books. I made a movement towards it but with a cadaverous, wild glare at me, it sprang through the broken window and disappeared. The church was just opposite the priest's house. I went across the road to look at it. It was a large reddish-grey stone building, pretty old, I should say, and surrounded by a graveyard. Shell holes everywhere, the old grey gravestones and slabs cracked and sticking about at odd angles. As I entered by the vestry door, I noticed the tower was fairly all right, but that was about the only part that was. Belgium and northern France were full of churches which have been sadly knocked about and all present very much the same appearance. I will describe this one to give you a sample. I went through the vestry into the main part of the church, deciding to examine the vestry later. The roof had had most of the tiles blown off, and underneath them the roofing boards had been shattered into long, narrow strips. Fixed at one end to what was left of the rafters, they flapped slowly up and down in the air like lengths of a watch spring. Below, on the floor of the church, the chairs were tossed about in the greatest possible disorder, and here and there a dozen or so had been pulverised by the fall of an immense block of masonry. Highly coloured images were lying about, broken and twisted, the altar candelabra and stained-glass windows lay in a heap together behind the pulpit, the front of which had been knocked off by a falling pillar. One could walk about near some of the broken images and pick up little candles and trinkets which had been put in and around the shrine, off the floor and from among the mass of broken stones and mortar. The vestry, I found, was almost complete Nearly trodden out of recognition on the floor I found a bright coloured handmade altar cloth which I then had half a mind to take away with me and post it back to some parson in England to put in his church. I only refrained from carrying out this plan as I feared that the difficulties of getting it away would be too great. I left the church and looked about some of the other houses but none proved as pathetically interesting as the church and the vicar's house so I took my way out across the fields again towards the Duve farm. Not a soul about anywhere, Wolvergame lay there empty, wrecked and deserted. I walked along the river bank for a bit and had got about 200 yards from the farm when the quiet morning was interrupted in the usual way, by shelling. Deep-toned, earth-shaking crashes broke into the quiet, peaceful air. Just in the same place, I observed to myself, "'as I walked along behind our left-hand trenches. "'I could see the cloud of black smoke after each one landed "'and knew exactly where they were, just in the same old... "'Hello, hello?' "'With that rotating, gurgling whistle, "'a big one had just sailed over and landed about fifty yards from our farm. "'I nipped in across the moat, through the courtyard, "'and explained to the others what had happened. "'We all remained silent, waiting for the next. "'Here it came, gurgling along through the air.' a pause, then crumpf, nearly in the same place again, but if anything nearer the next farm. The colonel moved to the window and looked out. Thereafter that farm, he said, as he turned away slowly and struck a match by the fireplace to light his pipe with. About half a dozen shells whizzed along in close succession, and about four hit and went into the roof of the next farm. Presently I looked out of the window again. Presently... I looked out of the window again and saw a lot of our men moving out of the farm and across the road into the field beyond. There was a reserve trench here, so they went into it. I looked again and soon saw the reason. Dense columns of smoke were coming out of the straw roof and soon the whole place was a blazing ruin. Nobody in the least perturbed. We all turned away from the window and wondered how soon they'd have our farm. That brings us to the end of chapter 23. If you've enjoyed this, uh, one new thing that you might like to try. Um, I've started a Substack newsletter over at 1914-1918.substack.com. That's 1914-1918.substack.com. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll look forward to seeing you next time on the pod.